You are Locked On Pelicans, your daily podcast on the New Orleans Pelicans, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Pelicans, the daily podcast covering your favorite team, New Orleans Pelicans and NBA as a whole, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, available on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and don't forget you can get the Locked On Pelicans podcast on the new podcast app, Himalaya, and when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Pelicans. I'm your host, Pelicans Insider, credential member of the media and editor over at LockedOnPelicans.com, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter, here with you all on this Tuesday as we're going to start to take a look at the GM search this week for your New Orleans Pelicans. We're going to be looking at a different candidate every single day. We're going to start with maybe who I think is the number one choice, the front runner for this, and that is, of course, Trajan Langdon with the New Jersey Nets. We'll dive a little bit into him. First, before that, I want to look at some of the structure to expect with this front office and the decision-making process and how it might all shake down just a little bit. We'll give you a quick update on something with LeBron James. Might have overreacted just a tad bit yesterday, though I'm not sure, so we'll touch on that quickly right at the very end. So let's dive into it in today's edition of Locked on Pelicans. So we know the Pelicans are looking for a new general manager. They hired the search consultant firm, company, what have you, that picked the most obvious names there, but that's still a good thing. And we know they're going to eventually hire someone, ideally sooner rather than later, with the NBA draft lottery coming up very soon, and then the NBA draft after that. And obviously, you want to have someone in place, at least for the draft, if not at least well ahead of time, too, because... You want to do some scouting, you want them to develop their big board, see who they want to bring in for workouts, and you don't necessarily want to rely on old information from people that weren't your guys. And it remains to be seen how much of the front office will turn over with the Pelicans. I don't really know if scouts or not get retained. The Pelicans are kind of tight-lipped on a lot of that. The guys that work in the actual front office, you have to figure maybe some will be safe, maybe some won't, and you'll see a massive shakeup there. There's usually about 10 or so people in that front office office kind of advising the GM who makes the ultimate decisions on everything. So there's a lot still in flux and then a lot to get finalized and settled once you bring in the guy that you actually feel is the one to run this team. But what about the kind of chain of command? And we've heard this in statements recently with Gail Benson saying all the right things. The GM is going to report in a structure that goes directly to her. No more will Mickey Loomis be the mouthpiece for ownership, according to this setup. He'll probably still advise Gail Benson on decisions that she eventually has to make with it, but it's not going to be kind of his overall call and him running this franchise at the very top. It's going to go directly to her, and if she doesn't really like what's going on, she's going to make the changes as opposed to letting Mickey Loomis do it. That can be a good or bad thing, to be honest. Loomis kind of has his hands full with the Saints. I know the Saints and uh, Sean Payton want him more focused on the Saints than he has been with the Pelicans um, and doesn't like that taking away his time, even though it never really took away his time, but whatever. Um, And, you know, Gale might not know as much about basketball as Loomis does at this point. So that could be a bad thing in and of itself. But at the end of the day, she's the one that does need to make the decisions. And it sounds like she will be. The question then is, is there someone in between her and the GM? 
And that's where we're not really sure, and I think we'll get a much clearer picture once interviews with these GM candidates continue to happen and start happening for some of them. And that's if you put in a president of basketball operations, which is something I could easily see. Again, she doesn't know that much about the NBA and how things work. If a GM's doing a good job or not can maybe be hard for her or others potentially to kind of tell. You know, you had Del Demp selling his vision to Mickey Loomis and Mickey Loomis saying, yeah, that sounds good. Let's go ahead with it. And that's how Anthony Davis is gone now. So maybe you need someone to be, you know, in the medium to be like, wait a second, this isn't working. We need to make a change or you need to kind of adjust your your plan and your roadmap. And that's where a president of basketball operations could come in. It doesn't need to be a ton of work, to be honest. You don't want someone who's kind of being absent there, but someone who can advise the GM, be in the room and kind of be a voice just like Danny Ferry currently is. You know, he's a special advisor. He's kind of a consultant. And he was just in there being like, hey, these are guys I like. This is some of the things we should look at, blah, blah, blah. Just another voice in the room when it comes to the decision-making process. The president of basketball operations can also do that while letting the GM kind of handle the day-to-day and the actual running of the team, the trades, the calls, the free agent signings, the scouting process, and all of that. I'm sure the president of basketball operations can also kind of look at the equipment in the in the training facility, say we need more of this, we need to invest in this. This is an area that I think we want to kind of keep going. They can look at the game day experience. All of that is kind of a good fit for that role while the GM focuses on the transactional side of things. So I wouldn't be shocked that even though we haven't really heard that mentioned yet, if that comes in, it easily could be a person like Danny Ferry who probably wants to be a GM again. I just don't know if he wants to be the GM of this team and if he wants to commit full-time to being here in New Orleans you know, for the foreseeable future. He still lives in Atlanta. He was here maybe once a month or so, once every couple of weeks, uh, maybe once a week at most, while he was the consultant before being the interim GM. And maybe that's a type of role he'd like to continue. President of Basketball Operations could do that. So I think there's some potential for that being put into the mix as well. But I also think it kind of depends on the candidates, these candidates that I'm going to highlight and talk about the remainder of this week. If you have someone who wants kind of full and absolute control, and there's a couple on this list that you figure kind of would want that, they probably don't want a president of basketball operations and someone above them to potentially override their decisions or take some of the decision making out of their hands. So this structure might not be in place is what I'm saying before the GM gets hired. You don't want to hire a president of basketball operations and then hire the GM and then have that GM not really kind of, or you lose candidates because that's not the type of situation that they want to walk into. So this might take a little bit more to get resolved in the actual hiring of the GM. You'd also let it know, be known to the GM that, hey, there's going to be someone above you potentially, or there will be someone, not a potentially thing. And that's what you're going to have to deal with and then hire that person after the fact and have their roles very clearly defined, which in this case is always a very important thing to do. So that's where we are. That's some of the things to keep in mind that are going to frame and shape some of the discussion we're going to have about these candidates, which we are going to launch into coming right up. So before we get to Langdon, today's podcast is brought to you by the Wise Cam, W-Y-Z-E. Wise is the premier indoor camera that does it all. Wise is packed with premium features that allow you to see everything from anywhere for just $20. It's $20 camera in 1080p 
full HD with images so clear you won't miss a thing. It also has additional features like night vision and two-way audio. It's the wise mission to bring amazing smart, ho smart home products to everybody accessible everywhere. Check on your home anytime with the Wise apps live stream. Connect with life as it unfolds in sharp focus and with clear eight times digital zoom. Best part of this is the Wise Cam comes with free rolling 14-day cloud storage with no subscriptions to maintain that. You want to know what's going on in your home. I've told you guys here that I have construction going on all around me. Our house has been dinged up. The cars have been hit. I need cameras like the Wise Cam to re record things so that I know what went on because when I come home and I see there's a big ass scratch on my car, I'm going to hold someone accountable for it. You hear that construction company? And the Wise Cam has helped me do that with the cloud storage. Sometimes you miss things and for a day or two later, it's still there with that free rolling 14 day cloud storage, no subscriptions whatsoever with that. With $20 a camera, you can basically do anything you want. Protect your home, monitor your kids, make sure your neighbors aren't doing sketchy things like putting weird stuff underneath in the crawl space because that actually happened to me too. So, and if you want more, the Wise Cam has that too. For just $10 more, you can get the Wise Cam Pan, which rotates 360 degrees in under three seconds. Life moves fast and your camera should too. So make sure you go to wise.com, W-Y-Z-E.com slash locked, W-Y-Z-E.com slash locked to get the guaranteed lowest price on the WiseCam along with the free rolling 14-day cloud storage. All right, our first GM candidate, Trajan Langdon, the guy who I do think is the front runner for a number of reasons, and maybe it'll come out and you'll kind of get there too while I'm talking about him on the podcast here. He's currently the assistant GM with the New Jersey Nets. Before that, he was a scout with the San Antonio Spurs. So that's kind of his background here. Also a former player from Alaska um, and Palo Alto as well in California where he was born, even though he attended high school in Anchorage, went to Duke, played there for a number of years from 94 to 99, and was the 11th overall pick in the 1999 NBA draft going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Didn't stick around much in the NBA and ended up playing overseas for the majority of his career. He's played everywhere from Italy to Russia. So this guy's kind of been all over the place, but that's a good thing, I think. And having that international experience, I think is something that would be a big draw for most teams currently in the in the league. He had a lot of success playing over there. And then basically immediately after that, started working for the San Antonio Spurs. He was a scout there from 2012 to 2015. And then in March of 2016, he was named the assistant general manager of the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets have been something of a darling team this year. They're currently in the playoffs, uh, seventh in the Eastern Conference, but they just have a record of 39 and 39. Still significantly better than where they were a year ago when they were getting like 28 wins, and then the year before that it was 20. So this has been a good project, uh, progression for them and a good trajectory that they've been on. They've been on, and they just recently announced that Kenny Atkinson, their head coach, has agreed to an extension. And Langdon's been there along with this. This team was decimated and had zero assets after giving up tons and tons of first-round picks and first-round pick swaps with the Boston Celtics that they're still kind of almost paying off some of that debt in a way to that team in exchange to bring back guys like Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and all of that. And that didn't work out. 
That was a horrible trade done by an old regime that basically left the Nets a laughing stock for a while. But slowly and surely, they've started to turn things around. And when you look at the top guys on their roster, it's all been done through trades and shrewd, fr smart free agent signings. Start with a guy who's going to get paid this offseason, and that's D'Angelo Russell. We all know this deal. It was draft night, June 22nd of 2017, and it was a deal with the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers who had signed Timothy Mozgov to that awful, awful contract and wanted to get out of that money, sent him and D'Angelo Russell to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for Brooke Lopez and the draft and a future first round pick, even though it was that night and that ended up being Kyle Kuzma. But that was the 27th overall pick in the draft. Not ideal. Normally, you'll give that up for a former number two guy on a rookie deal almost every single time. Kuzma's been okay, but I think everyone's looking at D'Angelo Russell right now, who's having a career year and is about to get paid. D'Angelo Russell, by the way, averaging 21.7 assists per game, and he's doing that in where is his minutes, in just 30 minutes per game, essentially. If you look at him for 36 minutes, he's giving you 25 and 8, and he's doing it on 36% three-point shooting. He's been very, very good this year for that team, also chipping in four and a half rebounds per 36 minutes. That's a smart move. They had cap space, and they basically used that cap space as an asset to absorb Mozgov's contract and then use it to get an additional asset in the pick, or in um, D'Angelo Russell, who's clearly worked out for this team. That same draft Maybe due to Langdon's scouting background, they also drafted Jarrett Allen with the 22nd overall pick out of UT Austin, who's been their center and, by the way, has started 76 games for him this year. He's playing just 26 minutes per game. He also played in 72 games last year, starting 31 of them. His per 36 minutes out on the court is he's given you 15 and 11 and a half rebounds per game. That's not too bad for a starter, for a center, who also is a decent enough rim protector and per 36 minutes blocks two shots per game. You've got to like that. He almost shoots also uh, over 58%, almost 59% from the field because he's taking smart, efficient shots at the rim. He's been really good, and that's a guy that they drafted. Speaking of another guy they drafted just the year before that with the 20th overall pick, and this was the hipster MVP pick until he got injured early this year, and that's Karis Levert. And this is a guy who was starting most of their games, then had that kind of scary, scary ankle injury, but was playing pretty well, and everyone really liked him and thought he was going to be a very good NBA player. But Levert's been good this year, and in the 36 minutes, again, because none of these guys are playing significant minutes, he's giving you 18.4 points per game, 5.2 rebounds, and 5.2 assists, along with 1.5 steals per game. He's also a small forward. Those are very few around the league. He's good defensively. Smart just signing late in the draft. They're making the most of these picks in the 20s, which is not always an easy thing to do. Then you look at some of the other players on this team. Spencer Dinwiddie, who'd been cast aside by Detroit and the Bulls and was waived by them, signed as a free agent in December of 2016 with this team. He's been exceptional this year. They signed him to a large extension 
extension coming up for around $10 million a year, which is pretty good value for him. Per 36 minutes for him, 22 points, 5.9 assists, and 3.1 rebounds. He's doing this off the bench, and it's per game numbers, by the way. He's only started four games this year. 17.2 points per game. 4.6 assists, 2.5 rebounds. That's a pretty good score, six-man off the bench that they found on kind of the scrap heap of everything. You've also got a guy like Joe Harris, who's been an excellent three-point shooter, leads the league in three-point shooting this year, was cut by the Cleveland Cavaliers after just two years. They signed him for virtually nothing, and now he's giving them 13.7 points per game on 47.6% shooting. He's a career 42.7% shooter from three on five attempts per game as that court spacer. How would you kill for something like that to have on the team? Basically also for no money, and it's just their scouting, realizing which guys are going to be good, which guys aren't going to be good that can kind of really keep some of these players in the league and kind of put that team over the top they're kind of greater than some of their parts but then you really start to look at the parts on this team and yeah they're pretty good and a lot of that probably has to do with Langdon's scouting background he can kind of find these guys they've got good research on them and that's how you go about building a team, maybe in a small market too, or with few assets. Now, the Pelicans should have a number of assets after the trade of Anthony Davis. Imagine what a guy like this who's done it with almost no assets, with just smart drafting and almost kind of bad first-round picks, is able to do when he has kind of a bit of a war chest at his uh, disposal here. Kind of makes you excited for what could happen. I think, again, the scouting background is really important. I think that's the way I'd personally build a team with other guys around them, analytics guys that we'll talk about later in the week to kind of support them. But I think scouting is ultimately kind of the way you want to go about this. Danny Ferry also has his background as a scout as well, and he's been a pretty successful GM and someone that's going to be in contention for the Pelicans' job as well. So Trajan Langdon, I think, likely the front runner for the job. I don't know if they're going to want to put a president of basketball operations above him. It also might depend if he wants full control or not. But going off some of the transactions and some of the things they've done, it looks pretty good pretty smart and even though they're 39 and 39 from where they were two years ago that is a hell of a turnaround and has got to make you potentially excited should he take over for the New Orleans Pelicans so before we touch on LeBron and maybe some of the other injuries and just quickly wrap up the podcast here since the focus is on the GM search uh, you can always get this show every day make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Pelicans podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app in an ever-expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every single day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to the Locked On Pelicans podcast. All right, so before we wrap everything up here quickly, so the LeBron James stuff that I kind of ranted about yesterday, which, I mean, it is. It's, it's BS. Let's, let's be honest about this. But he is apparently trying to claim that he's more injured than he's kind of been letting on, saying that this was a six-month groin tear type injury that he had to petition to let the team let him play and all of that. I, I don't know if I buy this. Look, if he's saying it, I don't want to call him a liar or anything like that. He's also probably the greatest player of all time in the sport. You know, but I also wonder if a lot of this is to kind of make himself feel better or to convince his fans and people who adore him that, yeah, it's not really his fault. He's been injured. What's he supposed to do here? Man, he played over 36 minutes per game with this. Like, if, if you're taking your health seriously or if you're that injured, you just don't do that. Like, you don't. 
I, I, it's not like he's playing to get a contract or to get the, you know, anything like that. I, I don't know. So it's kind of surprising to me if it's really kind of that bad that he, of all people, knowing his age and the minutes that he's got on his legs, would go out and play. So I'm skeptical of this. With him wanting kind of caring a lot about what people think of him and kind of controlling the narrative and his the perception of him, I wonder if he's just kind of saying this to make it look less bad. But also, you know, I don't want to call the dude a liar here. I really like LeBron. He's a really fun player to watch. But again, I'm just saying skeptical about all of this, and it's still quite not right. And you have to figure the Pelicans who had a day off, and maybe we'll get an update on some of this at practice today, are going to shut some of these guys down. We should get an update on Randall and his finger. We should get an update on Anthony Davis. But I wouldn't be shocked if it's that you guys uh, don't end up seeing them the rest of the season, which at this point, given that there's five games left, four games left, and you want to lose as many games possible, and the Pelicans actually have a pretty easy schedule going on, um, that you should be able to see them shut down and maybe help the Pelicans get into that tanking position. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. We should get an update later today, and I'll give that to you guys tomorrow on the podcast. So that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Locked on Pelicans podcast. You can do that over on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, as well as the new Himalaya podcast app. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Pelicans. Thank you all for listening. As always, I'm your host, Jake Madison, at Nola Jake on Twitter. And I'll be back with you all tomorrow.